Welcome to another edition of A Fork on the Road Show. I am Mark DiCarlo, travel guru. And next to me is the lovely and talented traveling diva, Yenny Alvarez. See, I can get away with traveling diva because people just laugh at it. But when you call yourself the travel guru, it's like, what? I know. I'm trying to I'm trying to come up with like a new, like a catchphrase. Other people can call you that. You can't call yourself that. Well, you call yourself the traveling diva. Yeah, but it's diva. Diva's a fun word, not a guru. Kind of like a cult leader. Yeah. You're the travel cult leader. Yes. Drink my Kool-Aid, everyone. <laughs> Come to the back of the airplane and drink the Kool-Aid. What a show we have for you today. Fred Krakowiak, who is not... Say that three times in a row. Fred Krakowiak, Fred Krakowiak, Fred Krakowiak. He leads safaris in Africa and is going to talk to us about meeting lions, mm-hmm. elephants, hippos, and being uh, six inches away from gorillas. That does not sound at all like a vacation. Yeah. Well, we're going to find out about it. He, he leads small groups of people on the vacations of their lives in uh, Rwanda and all over Africa. And just a fascinating man. He's got some beautiful artwork. He takes photographs. He does sculptures. He does paintings, all with a nature theme. Fred's going to be on the show uh, in, in a minute. And he just uh, seems like a very interesting guy. I'm looking forward to talking to him. Uh, if you've missed some of our other shows, we've had some good shows. I'm not going to lie. This travel, So far, so good. Yeah, this travel guru knows what <laughs> a good show. Uh, if travel you missed, cut leader. Cut, cult leader. Cut leader? Cult leader. Well, but that, that's I think that's what guru means. There is kind of a dark shroud of meaning to the word guru, which I, I kind of like. think other people can call you that. You've been called that. I have been. I'm just repeating Wait, I, it. No, I don't think you can call yourself that. I'm a travel guru. Find your chakra center. But don't sit in the center seat because then fat people will spill over and make your flight horrible. Um... If you've missed any of our shows in the past, you can catch up on all of them at a aforkontheroadshow.com. You can also get great deals on travel and GoDaddy and copies of my book. All of that on our site, which is aforkontheroadshow.com. We want to thank all the people that uh, listen to the show on a regular basis. We have hundreds of thousands of people that are subscribing to the show every week, and the number grows every week. So thank you for making this the most successful travel entertainment show on the web. we got to figure out how to make it better for successfuler them. no it's getting so it's it's growing so much mm-hmm. and we're getting so many people to listen to it we try to bring you um news and information from all around the world this month we're gonna have three different things last month was so good we found the camel competition the camel wrestling competition <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> the uh beach nude olympics in maslin beach mm-hmm. and the fancy rat and cat mouse annual show in california what is the date on that again which one? The fancy cat and rat and mouse show. January twenty fifth. Damn it! I wanted to. I'm going to be in San Francisco. <laughs> I'm going to be in San Francisco this week, and I really wanted to go to that and meet all the mouseketeers. Uh, so what do we have this week? This week we have things. Because really, we want people to listen to the show. If they're going on a trip or they're going somewhere different or they're looking for an idea for a trip, you come and listen to the Fork on the Road show, and we'll give yeah. you great ideas. Like, well, this time around, um, the Battle of the Oranges in Ivrea Carnival. It was moved to March. So I'm very upset that January, one of these, one of the best festivals has been moved to March. Well, if it's moved to March, why are we talking about it now? No, no, no. And get this. Get this. The professional cooking competition, the worldwide professional cooking cooking competition since 1987 is next year in Europe, not this year. So I was a little upset and I'm looking around and thinking, well, I'm not going to be there. What are three 
completely opposite and extreme things to do can I bring to people in the show? Well, there's Tipu Sam, which is a What? journey. Tipu, ta, taipu Sam. Which taipu I believe sam. is the uh, Hindu word for travel guru. <laughs> Taipu Sam? No, Taipu Sam is a festival where it's actually, it, the people do it in the bat caves. Not bat cave, batu the cave. The bat cave? I'm no, in. batu cave. I, I think the only in, guy I like better Kuala, than Captain Kirk is Batman. No, in Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia, and the they're called devotees. They pierce the skin as penance for answered prayers. They get tons of piercings. One of the photos that I saw, the guy is holding a... Spoon. I don't know how you could hold a spoon on the side of your face, but the guy was holding a spoon on the well, side of his face. You can do the thing where you breathe on the spoon and you no, hold no, it no. on the tip of your nose. They are piercings all over the body, and they get in distress, and they get pierced. And this, and this is, is a festival that yes, people can travel to? Yes. So people it's a self-sacrificing all, journey. All the way to Kuala Lumpur yes, to, to stick a spoon through their cheek. It's ginormous. And you get to do it in Batu Caves that are actual caves. Um, near the village of Batu. That's where they're called, Batu Caves. They're about eight miles north of Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia. <laughs> wow. I This can is he- for extremes. I can hear people running to the internet now to book their flights. Why would you want to go to this? Why do you think any would be interested in this? I think if you have had... Is it like a Burning Man kind much, of thing? Yeah, because people go there. I mean, there's people here that like to get poked and... and You know, that thing that David Blaine did through his hand. That is not magic. People do that all the time. They do it once a year in Kuala Lumpur. So if you're looking if you're looking for just a little prick, head to Kuala Lumpur. <laughs> Or more. What else you got? Okay. I have something that is absolutely beautiful to look at. It's the Harbin Ice Festival, um, where... The, the 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 ice sculptures come to life and they're ginormous. It's like going to Disneyland, but everything is made out of ice. Where is it? And they have lights and um, it is Harbin is in China. It's uh, about 800 miles north of Beijing, so it's across the Siberian border of um, the province. Okay. The Heilongjiang province. So if you want to see snow, we can go to China. Yes. And it lasts two months, so you can, you know, it's January, February, so you can go all the way to China. There's, you And know, now these are like these are like the ice sculptures that the bikini girls make, at like a Jaegermeister. Jägermeister. No, no, these are ice sculptures that cocktail have cocktail party where they pour it in. And no, it goes, no, the thing this and is a family-oriented festival. It has so no it has lights. You can create a hotel from from these sculptures. You can create there a Ferris a, wheel. There's a hotel in Iceland and made completely out of ice. And the government made them get smoke alarms or they were going to close the hotel down. What? True story. It was in the paper two weeks ago. Does it melt every year? No. Yes. Then they rebuild it. Completely. Everything is ice. Yet they were forced to install fire uh, sprinklers because that's what the local building code said. That is hilarious. What could what could burn in an ice hotel? The hotel. No, there's it's all ice. It'll melt. Why would you want to? First of all, why would you want to stay okay, here's, in an all no, ice? No, no, no. I get you it. You of all people would never stay. I in would an never because hotel. I will not sleep in a bed made of ice. Um, I don't care how many mink coats you throw on it. I don't believe in mink anyway. Um, where was it going? You, you were ta- you were talking about ice in China. Yes, this is completely different. This is beautiful lights, and they have buildings. They have Ferris wheels, and there's all. It's like a light show in ice, and you get to take your entire family. And you've never seen anything like this because ice sculptures this big do not happen. Just 
by chance. You may go to a, a buffet here and there's an ice sculpture, you know, of a, a woman's body. Okay, yeah, that's beautiful. Wow, how do they do that? But to make the ent an entire city of ice and lights, it's beautiful. It's like Christmas in the North Pole. Except it's the Chinese North Pole. Yes. Well, they own everything. They might as well own the North Pole. Oh where where is this again? This is in Harbin, China. Harbin, China. 800, about 800 miles north of Beijing. A another cheap trip. So we've got, so far, our recommendations this week are Kuala Lumpur to get a spoon shoved through your face, or 800 miles north I of Beijing, China, to go see stuff that you could basically see in downtown Chicago this winter. Yes, because it's these so are completely different things. Now, um, there's something that I found really funny. There is an art show in mm -hmm. California, over 70 artists, including Shepard Fraley. And guess, just guess what it's about. Ice? No. Piercings? No. Cats. Oh, my God. All about cats. Cat-inspired paintings. Cat-inspired art. Oh, my God. All Can you about imagine cats? the freaks that are going to go to that? Oh, you're going to have every cat lady in California, every cat dude. Oh, yes. so the, all the and people sadly, that love the cat pictures on the Internet are going to go. To, yes, oh, my God. Everything. And sadly, you are not going to be able to make it because it's also Saturday. Oh, so the wait a minute. January 25th. So the fancy rat and mouse show and the cat art show yes, are the same day funny? in the same place. Because it doesn't no, see, I've seen no, cartoons. No, no, no. Cats and mice do not mix like that. No, no, no. The the art show is in Santa Monica. In I'm sorry, in Los Angeles, um, in Santa Monica Boulevard. And this is in Hacienda Heights. The rat show is in Hacienda Heights. So it's this. It's all happening is it the art same day. Made by cats or art made about cats? You know what? I've the ones I've seen were actually quite good. Made by cats? No, these are not made drawings by cats. that cats do. No, these are people making cat art. All types of cat art. Yeah. What's the first thing every cat freak, and by that I, I mean someone that has more than two cats, what's the first thing that they say when you ask them about their cats? Oh, it's just like a dog. No, it's not. That's, the, that's what they say. That's cats what uh, Enzo DiGiorno said. When we talked to him about his cats, oh, they're just like a dog. He comes when you call. They're not just like dogs. Cats are cats. Dogs are dogs. I love all living creatures, but here's my take on it. Dogs embody all the wonderful, noble elements of humanity, while cats, they're all the crappy... They're in their own world, uh, and they, they give you they're love They're all the, they the bad love. things about humanity. They're selfish. They're sneaky. They're... Uh, well, some people like them. Some cats are not sneaky. I knew a cat that was very sweet, and he would just was come Was he just up. like a dog? No, he was like a person. That's the second thing all cat owners say. Well, no, he was. He would come up. He, he was rescued, and he was about to die because um, he had a horrible cold, and uh, my aunt took him in and, like, you know. They kill cats if they get a cold? No. He was about to die. He couldn't breathe. He had a horrible cold. He, he couldn't breathe. They they actually had to take him and uh, peel apart everything that was inside the poor cat's little nose and brought him in from the cold. It was a winter in Miami, which if you can imagine that. <laughs> Temperatures crashing below 70 degrees Fahrenheit. No, shut up. It was 40 this week at one point. <gasps> oh, my God. 40. That's Chicago weather. 40 below In Chicago Miami. So, so this little cat would come up... Um, Put his little paws on my chest, then on my face, and then he would, like, give me tiny little cat kisses in my nose. How cute is that? He was probably trying to suck the life out of you or... or... He also knew how to applaud. 
he would get on two little hind legs and go with his little cat paws. Bullshit. I'm, I swear to you. I'm sure I can find you a video. And this is not something you saw on the internet. This is no, a cat this that is, you owned that knew no, how to no, applaud. No, no, I didn't. I, I've never owned a cat. I'm a dog person. This is your aunt's cat. Yes. And it would would it clap on command? Would it clap if it saw something good, or it would just randomly applaud? No. If it was really, really happy and really excited, and people were going, "Hey, Moquito!" His last, his name was Moquito, little booger. Of course, because <laughs> he had a cold. Yeah, mm-hmm. Moquito, little booger. So we go, "Hey, Moquito!" And we would applaud, and the cat would get on his hind little legs and and applaud, stand so. up. Yes, and two and two Without hind legs and applaud. You're lying. I swear. I you know that. what? I am gonna find a video of this cat. This was before people had um, handhelds, handheld cameras. Uh huh. This was a long. This was like ten years ago. Wow. wow. So when the internet started. Yeah. So if you're a cat lover, this is the weekend for you in California. You can go to the see the cat art. You can go to see the mices and the rats that you can get to feed to your cat. What a great weekend. Sadly, I'll be in San Francisco and I'll miss it all. You saw a hamster and you would not get near me I with don't, a hamster. I don't like rodents. I don't... I don't. Hamsters are sweet I like animals. dogs. I'm a dog person. Again, I love all living creatures. Unless they're poodles. Eh, poodles are okay. They just have too much attitude for me. They just have too much attitude. Because they don't take crap from you. No, they think they're better than everybody else. Well, they are. They're not. They're hypoallergenic dogs. Yeah, but they're prissy. They're, they're not... You know, a poodle's never going to go fetch a tennis ball out of a, a muddy ravine. He'll just look at you like, screw you, I'm not doing it. A dog should just be, you know, goofy and dumb and do whatever you tell it to do and play with you, catch frisbees. A poodle frisbees. needs a reason to go and retrieve the, the wow, thing. Wow, that, I think that was a uh, that was a sonnet that Shakespeare wrote. A poodle needs a reason. Or Ogden Nash, one of the On two. On that note, I think we've... Uh... Well, so those back are back and forth for 16 minutes. Those People don't want to hear about us. Three great things you can do this weekend if you want to. You can go to Kuala Lumpur and stick a, a fork through your scrotum. You can go to China <laughs> and see a frozen city, or you can see cats and mice getting along in the art world. You are going to get such hate mail Los- from who? The applauding cat. cat? I'm I, listen. I'm not saying that I hate cats. I don't like cats. I prefer dogs to cats. You just said I don't like cats. I, I prefer dogs more. I, I think cats are sneaky and uh, embody all the worst elements of human nature. And I think you're a cat hater. I'm not a hater. I don't hate anybody. You're a cat disliker. No, I hate the St. Louis Cardinals, but I don't. Ah! I don't hate any animals. They were so good to us. I know. They yeah. were so. You know what? Uh, my opinions are completely different from Mark's opinions. The Cardinals are fantastic. Okay. Well, whatever. I I, I love all. I just think this. I would love to go to the cat art show, not to see the art, but to see the people there going, oh my God, it's so pretty. Uh, what is Some it Some of it was actually quite good. What's it called again? Which one? The, the cat? cat? The cat thing. It's the cat art show. <laughs> what do you mean, what's it called again? And of course, only in Los Angeles, so that everyone around the country can laugh even more at the fruits and nuts in California. Catartshowla.com. Go check it out. All of these uh, links will be on our website should you choose to uh, investigate them further. That website, again, is a forkontheroadshow.com. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm Mark DiCarlo, and she's... Yenny Alvarez. And we do all kinds of contests and giveaways and travel deals throughout the week. So uh, follow us on Twitter and enjoy that. Right now, it's time for our first guest. This guy, Fred Krakowiak, is a nature... I don't even know how you would describe him. He's a nature artist, he's a nature photographer, and he leads... Safaris to Africa, where you can have encounters with the animals in the wild. Right. And we're not talking you're driving around in a Jeep and you see them from 400 yards oh, no, away. no, no, no. You're walking. They're 
kind of close to you. So if they decide to run up to you. And eat you? Yeah. They could. You're screwed. Yeah. That's they it. could. Um, it's a fascinating life. He's, he's created a, he's got a new book out. And uh, we're going to talk about that and talk about Africa. Fred Krakowiak, welcome to A Fork on the Road. Hi, Fred. Hi, welcome. I'm glad to be here. So uh, I'm glad that we're reaching you when you're not in... Uh... Africa. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us, uh, we, we're, we've um, we became aware of you. We've been checking out your uh, images and your book and your... It looks like you have an incredible life. Are you... You're, you're like a safari god, Yes. Uh, I am not a god, but I am a guide for almost two months of the year, and I love it there. And how did you get involved in safaris? Were you born in Africa? No, I actually, in 2004, uh, I did, I've done wildlife art my pretty much of my adult life. And in 2004, one of my uh, friends who is a PH in Africa said, Fred, you need to get up close and visit the souls of these animals. And so I went to Africa, picked up a guy named Humphrey out of Zimbabwe. We hit it off. He needed an apprentice guide. And the next thing you know, I'm doing wildlife art and I'm uh, an apprentice guide in uh, in Africa. And then that's the beginning of the story. You, yes, it's like you have two careers. You, you, you actually take people on safaris of Africa and then you also create this incredible uh, artwork. And it's not just paintings, right? It's like multimedia stuff. It looks like some of it is sculpture, some of it is painting. Uh, yes, I'm very fortunate to be well-versed in bronze um, and also in oil on copper. I've done oil on canvas. I do uh, silk paintings with the Sumi, ancient Sumi style from the Chinese, which is about 3,000 years old. Um, but that these close encounters with uh, these amazing creatures of Africa have really allowed me to just look deep into their souls and just capture their spirits with, you know, my pen or my paintbrush or my hands when I'm doing sculptures. I have to say my favorite one is the blue elephant. I am mesmerized by that blue elephant. You know, it's amazing when you go to Africa and you visit these the wildlife because i do camping safaris and many people when they go to africa they are in jeeps or they go to lodges so someone who travels with me for a couple weeks that we are on foot and so we are seeing these animals up close and in person and sometimes we were only three to five feet away from them and for the, what kind of what kind of animals do you get that close to? Well, did you not see the one with the gorilla? Yeah, I, that was a little scary. Your close encounter with a big old gorilla looking at you. I thought the gorilla was going to eat you. They're they're they don't they're not man, they don't not carnivores, right? Gorillas just eat. But they're, they're herbivores. They can be aggressive. Well, um, they can be aggressive. You, there are three rules to stand by with gorillas. One is do not point at them. The second is do not stare at them. And the third one is to keep your your respective distance. So it's like being in New York City. <laughs> uh, I guess I don't know. <laughs> I'm not a city person, but the um, the gorillas are totally different because when we visit them in Rwanda, we actually hike, and you're actually climbing a volcano. There are eight volcanoes 
in Rwanda, between Rwanda, Uganda, and the Congo. And on these eight volcanoes, the gorillas live on three to four of them. And so you're actually climbing these these mountains, these volcanoes. And the, the picture that you described that was um, that you've seen was a, taken at about 9,800 feet, which is above the cloud line. So when you get to a certain point, you know, the air gets thinner and you see this huge circle. When you're tracking gorillas, you have a, a tracker who's, you know, basically tearing apart the thick undergrowth with his machete. And then you come to this uh, circle, this diameter that looks like a bowling ball that has about an eight foot diameter. And that's the path of the gorilla. And you go down through this path following their trail, and there they are. And in that particular case, there were 38. It was the Sousa group. And when you come upon these silverbacks, as you've seen, they're just sitting there and they're staring at you, and your breath is totally taken away. And it's just an unbelievable, unbelievable experience. And do you feel that you, first of all, that sounds terrifying. It is. I, I, I can't even imagine doing that. Do you feel that there's some sort of communication? Are you on their turf? Are they so used to seeing people now that it's not startling to them? You know, it, what is that a moment like? Yeah, basically what has happened, and I've been there, we have have traveled up Mount Kirisimbi, uh, which is the tallest volcano there at 14,100 feet. And there are several other, we've actually gone up Mount Sabino, which is about 11,000 feet. But this is like entering someone's home. So if I came into your home, you'd be willing to tolerate me maybe for five minutes. The gorillas are willing to tolerate us for about an hour. And they've done DNA research. And the DNA for the gorilla, when they checked out their dung, is that after they you've been there an hour in their home, they experience severe stress after about an hour. Hmm. So what happens is after an hour, they actually, the guide says, okay, we have to go. And what has happened in uh, a couple years ago, actually, when we were up on Mount uh, Sabino, is we were trapped. And one of the gorillas as we were leaving, as we were walking away, and this is thick, thick vegetation. I mean, the floor of the vegetation is basically about six to eight inches thick, and you have a walking stick. So you can imagine you're walking in vegetation that is just horrendously hard. Mm -hmm. This huge silverback named Gahunda, which means chest beater, jumps off of his perch and comes over, and he's char we thought he was charging us. And again, you have to read their body language. And the body language of this huge mountain gorilla who weighs about 550 pounds and stands about just under six feet, he comes charging at us. But it was a charge that was a not a mock charge, but a charge that was not threatening because he was not throwing leaves in his mouth and he was not standing up beating his chest, but he was coming towards us. And we backed up, and we were up, up against a kopi, which is a mound of rocks, and we could go no farther. And he kept coming towards us. And all of a sudden, he reaches out and he grabs this thick, sowy type vegetation and grabbed a handful and pulled it and put it under his arm and grabbed another, these fingers as thick as Coke bottles were six inches from our faces. He was grabbing these 
huge sowie sticks and bringing them underneath his arm. And what was happening was he was upset because we were about to walk over his dinner for the evening because gorillas do not drink water. Many people don't realize that. They drink zero water. They get all of their vegetation and all of their moisture for their body from this the sowie, which carries all of their their water nutrients for their for the day. Wow. And they, he eats about 75 pounds. A silverback we eat about 75 pounds a day. A day? A day. And they're finicky? And, they don't want you to walk over the food? Well, would you want someone to walk over your food? How do they know? <laughs> well, first well, of all, apparently- if I saw a gorilla charging after me, you'd be able to check out my dung. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I know that you, I could uh, contain I myself. Were yeah. you, I mean, were I you terrified you or has this happened to you before? Oh, no, no. I was, we were terrified. It was uh, the color of my pants may have changed. <laughs> but, uh, after he filled up his arms of, of this vegetation and then walked back calmly to his perch and sat down and allowed us to move on. So they certainly, like us, you may like a certain vegetable or you may like a certain meal. What we were about to walk over was his dinner for the evening, and he was not about to have any of it. Wow. And how big are the groups that you can take into these kind of environments? Um, Rwanda limits the groups from six to eight people, so it's a very, very small group. And so when you're traveling up there, you definitely get, you know, you definitely get a feel because uh, Gahunda's group was about a gorilla, a gorilla group of about 13. So, and they're all about you because you're literally entering their home. Um, they and you're were outnumbered always, two to one. Oh, absolutely. But again, they've seen people. Um, these groups, I would not say they're domesticated by any means, but certainly they are well aware you're there. They are very familiar with you, uh, with the human smell. And, and so they allow you to be there about an hour. And then you can tell they get a bit agitated. They may throw some leaves or some branches at you, but oh. an hour, you got to go. Wow. And, and so your entire two-week trip you're on foot, there's no cars, you're just backpacking and tenting and everything? Um, well, when we're in Rwanda, when you're tracking gorillas, you stay in a lodge and you track them on a day, you track them every day. You show up at, a, at uh, a spot and then it's determined what group you want to walk to because by you have to be in good shape to tra- track, for instance, the Sousa group. We track them, which is the oldest group. They date back to Diane Fossey, which you may know of. Mm-hmm. And it was Diane Fossey's favorite group to track. At that time, they had 38 gorillas in the group, but they were at about um, 10,500 feet. So you're walking from 6,500 to 10,500 feet up a mountain. It takes about four hours to get there you spend an hour and then it takes about three and a half hours to get back so if you're not in good shape that's not a group you want to track no and it's diff- at, at that altitude it's you know two to three times as hard because there's much less oxygen and you're probably carrying all kinds of stuff plus uh you're you're dunging in your pants when you see the <laughs> the gorillas for the well, first I think time it, i think it takes a very special person to actually want to do that and want to you know, be one with nature and be with the animals and see how the animals live and get the reaction from the animals and be that close to the animals. Personally, it scares the heck out of me. 
Are you but, communicating you with them, Fred? Are you? Do you feel that you have some sort of uh, substantial connection with them? You know, it's interesting you ask that because this year we went uh, in this past August we went to Rwanda and spent a week. And when we were going up the mountain to um, this group, the got our guide. This was again. This happened to be Gahunda's group. Our guide tell, told us, Fred. Uh, there were four of us, only four of us, which was very nice. Said Fred, just be in the group. We have to be very aware that they just had a baby. Now we don't know who. Uh, we we just do not know the baby's um, sex. No one's seen the baby, but we know they've had one. So when we go up there, we got up there, and all of a sudden, Gahunda sitting there again, five over five hundred pounds. And he's just looking out, staring right at us. And right next to him was this female with a baby. And she turned and she looked at us. And I'm probably maybe 15 feet away, uh, not more than five yards. And she turned and she walks right over to me and opens her arms up. And I happened to have my camera right at my, at my eye because I was getting a picture of the Honda. And she opens her arms and there's a baby breastfeeding this newborn that no one has ever seen breastfeeding and she comes right up to me. I could have kissed her. She was so close. Takes a, and I, I take one picture and I put the camera down and I just enjoyed that 30 seconds. And then she covered up and walked back to the, to Gahunda and sat next to him. Wow. And they, as we're walking down and we spent an hour with the group, no one else was able, was able to see that infant. And as we're walking down, the our guide uh, looked at me and said, "Fred, you're so lucky, but you have such a you've been here before, and they can just sense that you're so comfortable. You're just basically part of their family." And so wow! So it was like you were like an uncle coming over, right? Hey, look what we have. Oop, we lose you, Fred. Fred, are you we, there? I think we lost him. Hello. Are you, no, oh, there you are, Fred. Okay. Um, so it was like you were like an uncle coming over to visit a new baby, right? Absolutely. That's just how the the feeling I got, and and it was confirmed by the by the guide who says you you she could tell that you know after traveling to Africa for ten years, my just it's my demeanor, my behavior, my body language is uncomfortable. I feel like I'm one of you. I'm not a threat. Um, and it's not only that with the gorillas up in Rwanda, but also with, you know, the elephants that, uh, that I've had charge me down in Zimbabwe or in Botswana. It's, I've been there often enough that I, I'm, I'm basically part of the, um, is that the elephant charging you again? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I it's hope the not. elephant's cell phone. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Sorry. where you been? So you see apes, you see elephants. What about lions? Oh, absolutely. Two years ago, we were surrounded. Uh, two years ago, we had seen these two hippos fight. Uh, and when hippos fight, they they brutally just beat the heck out of each other because it's 7,000 pounds, two 7,000 pound animals, like two locomotives just charging into each other and just tearing each other apart. And so the loser had decided to meander back to Long Pool, which is a which is an area off of uh, which is an area off of the Zambezi River, 
Mm-hmm. And so as we noticed this, and so we, the next morning we got up and we decided to, again, you survey the landscape. You want to see what is out there every morning because it's unscripted. You're not sure what you're going to do um, in nature. And so in this particular morning, we waited, and then around 11 o'clock, the, around 11 o'clock, the vultures, the earth heats up, and when the earth heats up, the vultures ride the thermal. And so we look in and we see these vultures, so we're figuring, hey, something's up. So what we do is we ended up walking towards the vultures. And it's about a three-mile walk. Of course, because when you see vultures, that's what you want to do, is get closer to them. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Well, that's where the action is. Yeah, that's, <laughs> you want to see what they're, they're going after. Yeah, where's the salad bar? Yeah, and so then as we walk up to the, as we walk up to the, where's as we're the walking up through this ridge, here's a ridge, and we're walking up to it, and we, we hear this cracking two-by-fours, like two-by-fours breaking, like lightning hitting the ground. And we notice up, and what is there? A huge lion ripping off a rib. And he walks right in front of us. We kind of duck back down underneath the canal. And I look at Humphrey, my guide, and you don't talk when you're tracking. It's all fingers and eyes. And so we decide, you know what's going to be easy for us is to walk, to get up and go over this to the left and then get around. And if we get around the... um, this area that we were sitting in, this little canal, if we get around this bush of trees, we'll be able to get a better picture of the hippo that was now deceased and the lion pride that was feasting. So as we got up and we casually walked very quietly, all of a sudden, from the back, a female lioness charges us, growling, ears pointed forward. Her body language is, I am upset. Her tail's wagging, a very bad sign. And we look at her and like, oh my gosh, Humphrey chambers his gun, turns about three quarters of a turn. I step back. I pick up my camera because that's all I have on me. I get a quick picture and she's continually to charge. She stops 10 feet away, growling, growling, growling. And then all of a sudden, with her growling, we look around and her growling has caused it upset the pride oh, and all geez. these heads start picking up. Oh my God. And then we look around, four cubs are behind her. They may be, might be maybe four months old. Apparently these cubs, this is probably their very first meal off the tit. And so now it's like, oh my gosh. And all these lion heads start picking up and we see them coming up from the tall grass we have. Oh. We count them. We're surrounded by 18 lions. Oh, my God. And I mean, there, it's just, it, it, I mean, it gives you a new appreciation of lions. We stood there for maybe three to five minutes. Humphrey looks at me, hands me his gun. He goes, hold this a second. He didn't say, he just whispered this, hold this. I've never shot a gun. I'm like, what are you doing? You know, I look at him like I show, I look at him in his eyes. I point in from my eyes to his, like, what are you doing? He grabs his camera, takes a couple shots, takes his camera. I give him back his gun. I said, Humphrey, come on. We finally find an avenue 
backwards. We so we walk backwards, and you can't. The thing is, you cannot run. If you run, you become the next prey. Right. So we walk backwards about 30 yards back into the canal, sit down, take a deep breath. And uh, again, it gave us a new appreciation of Hawaiian pride because we'd never been that surrounded before. Wow. So you're just out in the savanna. How, how, how do you maintain your safety? What if the animals were starving or crazy or something? Uh, we'd be in trouble. because we. <laughs> Good are- answer, Fred. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, honestly, and I, and I explain everyone who comes to on safari with us, and I certainly understand it. Um, my wife goes with me every year. She she understands. We both understand that we're in the wilderness. This is um, it's called Mana Pools. Was one area we go in in Zimbabwe. It's three thousand square miles. Imagine that three thousand square miles of wilderness where the animals roam wild. And at night, you have tents, and you get up in the morning, and you can have look around, and you can see a pride of lions maybe have moved through your camp, or maybe a, a some hyena. What stops them from just ripping? It's it's like you're, you're you. yeah, your hot pockets sitting in that tent. What stops them from just ripping the tent over and just eating you? Uh, well, the, a tent is to them a tent is like a, a tree. It's an inanimate object, so they don't. Uh, they don't know you're uh, inside. Well, no, they can they, smell you. They can smell us, but again, they never have they made an attempt. It's like we're an inanimate object, so that's been somewhat. Um, if I ever went on a safari, I would be walking inside a tent the entire time. <laughs> I'm taking my tent with me. Well, I'm sorry, I'll, but these stories are just giving me a stomachache. Well, wow. I tell you, if, uh, here's a funny, quick, quick, funny little antidote. We um, Humphrey and I again. I've known him for a, a number of years. And every now and then we'll do a little practical joke here and there. And and one evening, uh, my wife was in in our tent, and this uh, she felt somebody pushing up against the tent, and this snorting sound. And she goes, "Humphrey, Humphrey, Fred is sleeping on the other side. Leave me alone." Thinking that Humphrey would just be an ornery. Mm-hmm. She finally said, "Fred, will you?" Our tent was actually kind of moving a bit. She goes, "Fred, get up and go out and talk to Humphrey." I got up. I walked outside. It was a Cape Buffalo who had set his ass down up against the tent and was just kind of burrowing himself in for the evening. It was this big big Cape Buffalo, you know, just setting himself up for the evening. And he was protecting his his rear because that's most susceptible. And when they're sleeping, they like to put their rear end up against something like a kopi or a tent. To or protect something themselves. that's warm. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, you know, it was, uh, again, it's, uh, you put everything in perspective. We <laughs> laughed about it. So these these are not trips for the casual Travel, tourist no. or the traveler. This is, this extreme, is like yeah. almost like climbing Kilimanjaro, right? This is something that you prepare for. Yeah. You yeah, Well, you prepare for it in the respect that. You are well aware it's unscripted, and you're well aware that you're walking. We could walk anywhere from one mile to 14 miles a day. So you have to be physically and mentally prepared. Yes. yes. I don't know what I would do in, in that case with all the lions. Well, baby, first of all, you wouldn't be there because there's no coffee machines and there's no remote controls water. at night for no the television. Yeah. So now what, what does it cost for a typical trip like this? Um. 
for 14 nights and 15 days is uh, $9,500 and it's fully, but that pays for everything. When you land, you, you, I mean, that pays for everything from your food, your beverages, your lodging. And when we land, we stay at Victoria Falls. We stay in that lodge for two nights on the front end because girls, uh, like Yanni, they want to be very comfortable. Yeah. And we, so we kind of get, get so you tease them with that before you take them into the woods. And show them yeah, we, we, we let them stick their, stick their toes in the water. Wow. <laughs> then, then we throw them in the deep end. And then on the, on the back end, they, we stay in a lodge on the river called Chiquena and for two nights. And then that gets them prepared oh, for the that's long where the trip. Light home. Comes from. Oh, Chiquena. Yeah. Chi, <laughs> hey, very good. <laughs> the lions know. <laughs> wow what a fantastic sounding trip and i'm, I'm not surprised because as we're, we're looking at the images what is the name of your new book fred uh the new uh, the first book was africa and Anis, and the first book was africa and artist safari right second book is the artist safari it's a phenomenal uh the, the artwork is phenomenal the trip sounds insane i don't know if i have the guts to do it it's you it's, would because it's it's once you get there and i've had several people on the on the fence and when they come home they go best trip i've ever taken i could see i could totally see that where it's just a life-changing it is life-changing yeah. how can people find you to book this trip and to get your books uh to get the uh the book i am on amazon or they can go to the website, which is www.maverickbrushstrokes.com. It's M-A-V-E-R-I-C-K-B-R-U-S-H-S-T-R-O-K-E-S.com. Or they can call me at 602-376-5431. Wow. That's, a, that's the direct line to Fred Krakowiak, a... Very gifted artist, and I'm going to say an intrepid traveler. Wow. Anyone that's hung out with lions and, and gorillas, gorillas <laughs> that's, that, that's just an amazing story, Fred. Thank you so much for being on the show. And uh, please keep us up to date on your trips, and, and we'd love to see uh, more about them as time goes on. It just sounds literally uh, like going around the world on the Queen Mary, this, a once-in-a-lifetime well, yeah, experience. experience. I, I I hope to see uh, both of you on one of my trips. <laughs> Yeni, Yeni, you scared her. She's shaking her head. You know what? I, I... It will take some convincing, but I will work on it. <laughs> Good. I don't know. Uh, that lion story scared me. Yeah. Well, you, you, you are always welcome. Have you had any mishaps? You always return with the same amount of people that you left with? Uh, we've always returned with the same amount of people we left with, although I will say my wife sometimes wishes that uh, I would have stayed. <laughs> Fred, thanks so much for spending time Thank with us you, on the Fred. show. Continued success and uh, stay safe, for God's sake. And keep painting. Th that blue elephant is incredible. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> would you do that? No. I don't think you, you wouldn't. No, I would not. You couldn't walk and sleep and do not. all the tenting stuff. No, I would not. But he said well, you... Forget about tents. What about what about yeah. the lions and the gorillas? That's well, what I'm gorillas worried about. Well, gorillas are herbivores. They're not going to eat you. They could tear you apart. Yes. I'm not interested in that either. Right. Lions would eat you. 
That that story about the lions so being how how do you be surrounded by lions and literally not shit your pants? Can you imagine? You're out in the in the grass. Oh, I'm sure they did. He said he did. <laughs> yeah, but I wonder if that's why the, the lions didn't eat him. Because he pooped. Maybe. Maybe that was like your best self-defense. So there you go. If you're ever in Africa in the wild and you're surrounded by 18 different lions, shit your pants and live to tell the tale. Yeah, that, I would not sign up for that. You know, but just imagine the people that do. He's been doing it for 10 years. And he's obviously And he's expert, alive. And uh, his his safaris get rave reviews. You get to go in a small group. And it's, this is, yeah, it's you pricey, really have to but want it is, to do it. It is. It's, you, and, but this is for a special kind of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is not just for your regular traveler. This is for people that like extremes. This is for people that want to be in touch with nature and in touch with a wild animal. Right. Remember that girl we met at a bar at one point um, after one of your softball games? No, one of your hockey games. Um, that wanted to die being eaten by a shark. Right. This is for her. Right. We call her She's sh- that type of person. Shark screwer. Yeah. Uh, uh, this gorgeous redhead girl. We start talking to her at the bar, and because a lot of the guys at um at the hockey thing are single, and, and I'm I'm a good wingman. You are. I'm a great You are the wingman. best. Yeah. You are the best. So I'm talking him up. Then he's talking her up, and and we start. I don't know how we arrived at it, but at one point she just turned to her, turned to us, and said, "You know, I've thought about it. I think I want to die by being eaten by a shark." And I. Just you know when you do one of those, everything slows down and you go. Did I just Whoa. hear that correctly? Yes. Yeah. First of all, why would you want to be eaten by a shark and die? Second, who would think of that ahead of time and go, hmm? I don't want to be hit by a bus. I don't want to waste away in a cancer ward. I'd like to be eaten by a shark and devoured. Oh. Uh, from the bottom up, so that she could enjoy it. She also said that. Ooh. Like from the legs up. Oh. Did we ask her That's what she did twisted. for a living? Is she a diver of some sort? No, she's just a freak. Just a just another L.A. weirdo that we've been lucky enough to meet and chat up. Oh, uh, yeah. those characters. That's, that's the fun thing of traveling. There's a book in that. When you travel, you're forced to talk to people, and sometimes you have the good fortune of running into someone weird and goofy like Shark Screwer. You might run into Fred, Fred Kakawiak in a bar. Uh, you're probably not going to run into Chris Pine. That's, no. why, that's why we're Sadly here. Sadly enough. Sadly enough, he could be one of my freebies. Okay, you can have it. Whoosh, whoosh. That's, my Star- <laughs> That's my Star Trek door. I want one of those. Well, that wraps up this episode of A Fork on the Road Show. We thank you once again for listening and making us the most popular travel show on iTunes and the Internet. We'll be back next week with a new show. In, uh, in the meantime, you can catch up with us on aforkontheroadshow.com. You can also find us on Twitter. At Mark DiCarlo and at Traveling Diva. So, until next week, I'm Mark DiCarlo. And I'm Yeni Alvarez DiCarlo. And we'll see you... On a fork on the road. Shark screwer. That's horrible.